things first. Um, I do want to make it known. Um, several of you have expressed concern um, for me. Like, wow, your plate is full, and wow, you must be so stressed out, and all these other things. Here's the truth of the matter. Um, I do not look at this at all of any sort of burden or any sort of stress. I'm actually, I am looking at this opportunity as a great opportunity again to experience the grace of God in my life as I'm able to share the gifts that he's given me. So this is a great opportunity for me, so I don't want anybody out there to somehow have sympathy or pity on me, because there's really no reason to. If you're going to have sympathy and pity, send it up to Rochester, okay? Because this has been, I just, God has called me to this, and there is nowhere else I'd rather be. There's nothing else I'd rather be doing. And yes, life gets busy, but if we stopped because life got busy, then all of us would not be going at all. So um, I just wanted to get that out there. But thank you for your prayers. I do appreciate that. And I do appreciate all the good thoughts and well wishes that I've received. Although John McDermott told me he hoped I would get a strike. Um, I first thought he was talking about baseball, and I'm like, that's not really an encouragement, John. But then he told me to this morning it was bowling, so we're good there. But uh, um, today I want to talk about a, a subject that I am 100% confident that every single one of us sitting here And anybody who wouldn't even be sitting here, anybody in our church, any human being really faces on a day-by-day basis, if not an hour-by-hour basis. I want to talk today about temptation. I want to talk about sin. I want to talk about how we can remain pure in a world that tells us uh, that sin is normal and sin is okay. And yet as Christians, we are encouraged and even commanded to stay away from sin And to live a pure and holy life before God. And the thing is, it's not easy, right? If it were easy, more people would do it. But but even though having faith in Jesus is free, and there's nothing we have to do to receive Jesus as our Savior, to commit to Him, there's nothing that we have to do. However, it is hard to live the Christian life. Because every time we turn around, we turn to the left, we turn to the right, we look behind us or we look ahead of us, And there is a sin sitting there ready to destroy us, ready to take us down and destroy everything that we're doing, destroy all of our ministry, and even destroy our hearts. And and if Satan can do that, if he can get sin into our life, then he knows that even though, in a sense, that we are professing to be Christians and yet are enslaved by sin, if sin is taken over and people look at us and see sin and not Christ, that he has won the victory. And today I want to talk about how we as Christians can defend ourselves against the sin that so easily wants to come in and dismantle our lives. And we're going to be looking at a theme verse this morning. A theme verse, and it's from 2 Timothy 2.22. Real easy to remember. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.22, all twos in there. Uh, And we're going to look at this theme verse. And this is what the Bible tells us when it comes to sin, when it comes to passion and lust. It says, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. That is our theme verse, and as we go from that verse, I want to, everything we're going to talk about this morning comes from this verse. What is the strategy for overcoming temptation in your life, in my life, in all of our lives, as we daily face temptation to sin? 
like I said, everywhere we turn, there's always a new sin that is waiting there, crouching, ready to attack if we'll only let it. And yet, the Bible tells us that we need to flee youthful passions, that we need to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And we need to do it with those who are calling upon God with a pure heart. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Now, you notice the title, Run, Christian, Run. Now, the movie that this is in reference to, I think most of you will understand, and that is Forrest Gump. Now, I am not condoning or saying that this is a movie that you need to run out and watch. But what I am saying is there's a very famous scene in this movie that I think everybody knows, even if you haven't seen Forrest Gump. And that is the scene where a young Forrest Gump has braces on his legs, and he gets... He gets confronted by a bunch of bullies that are on bikes. And they start throwing rocks at him. They hit him in the face. And at that point, Forrest has an option of what he's going to be doing. And he, luckily, his friend Jenny is with him. And, and the boys start throwing rocks. And they're on bikes. And, and they start throwing rocks. And what is Jenny's uh, advice to him? Anybody remember? Yeah, so almost everybody, run, Forrest, run. And this is iconic, right? You can't go through life without hearing this iconic line. Run, Forrest, run. And she says it like three times, and she's yelling. And he starts to run away from the danger. He starts to run away from the bullies. And they get on their bikes, and they're chasing him down. And if you know the movie at all, the braces break off of his legs as he runs. And it turns out that he can run faster than a bike. Later on, when he's older, apparently he can run faster than a truck as well. So he's a, he's a, he's a super runner, okay? And the whole, part of the whole movie is about his running and how he was able to run. But that advice that Jenny gave him is the advice that I want to give to you today. When we face temptation, when the bully of sin is trying to destroy us, is trying to hurt us, we can stay and fight, but that's not what Scripture tells us to do. It actually tells us to do the opposite. Instead of fight against it and try to do everything in our strength to not sin, instead we need to run. Run, Christian, run. And that's what we need to do. Each and every one of us. And we just read that that verse, and what is the first word in 2 Timothy 2.22? Flee. Flee is run away. That is what fleeing is all about. So the Bible tells us that if sin is coming into our life, if we are tempted to sin, the strategy to overcome that is not to grit our teeth and bear it and try to fight it, but instead is to flee. It's to run away, to get away from the sin that is trying to destroy us. But see, as we flee, there's really three ways that we need to flee. And those are the three things we're going to look at today. And what they are going to be, and we see it in 2 Timothy 2.22, is that first of all, we need to run from sin, we need to run to God, and we need to run with others. This is not, uh, if you were an epic with me, you guys have heard this before, because this is not original to me as far as the run, run from, run to, or run with. Uh, actually, this is put out by Covenant Eyes is one of the things that they talk about. If you don't know what Covenant Eyes is all about, it's about helping people overcome the addiction to pornography. But this concept is not just about pornography, and it's not just about sexual sin. It is about any sin that is trying to uh, take our lives over. And so we need to run from, run to, and run with. Those are the three things we're going to look at this morning. So if you want to start with me and go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And honestly, this verse could have been our theme verse as well. But I, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we see, once again, this idea of fleeing, running away. Um, so, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. Here we read this. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. 
No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Okay, so a lot of times I hear these verses of 12 and 3 quoted, or 12 and 13. They're quoted to us that, don't worry, God will provide a way out of every temptation that you face. You'll be able to escape. God is looking out for you. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you are able. And these are very true concepts, but so often we forget to add on this verse that I just read at the end. Uh, Verse 14, it says, therefore. So what Paul has just been talking about beforehand is there for a reason. So it says, therefore, and then it tells us something. And it says, flee from idolatry. What I would propose this morning as we look at Scripture is that if we want to escape, the escape is from idolatry. So A on your, on your outline is escape from idolatry. Run from idolatry. If you, God has given us a strategy. He talks about how there will be a way out. When you're tempted, you won't be tempted beyond what you're able. But then God gives us this little piece afterwards. And this is the great part here. He says, I'm going to give you a way out. But wait a minute. I'm going to tell you what that way, way out is. And what is the way out of temptation? Well, it's to flee from idolatry. So let's sit, for, sit on that for just a minute. Why would he talk about idolatry? Well, idolatry is any time that we put anything in our lives ahead of God in importance. It's the thing that we run to when we need to run somewhere, when we're stressed or when we're feeling that we need some uh, comfort or we're feeling that we need pleasure, whatever it might be, we run to that thing and we neglect God to do that. It's when we say to God, you know what, yeah, I believe in you, but right now this is more important. That's idolatry. We see it in the Old Testament. We see people actually having false gods and idols and things that they'll worship But I would say that today we have our own idols. It can be money, it can be stuff, it can be other people, uh, it can be uh, entertainment. There are so many different things that we can make more important than God, that that we ascribe our worship to, we spend our time to do. And when we do that, we are letting sin win. Because at that point, every sin, I would say this, and I I have no problem saying this at all, every sin, its root is always idolatry. If it's not something else that you're serving that is making you sin or causing you to sin, excuse me, it is yourself. Because either you're trying to appease yourself and worship yourself or you're trying to worship God and ultimately idolatry is the root of all sin so anything that you run to instead of running to God anything that you ascribe your worship to other than God himself is an idol and it's a root of all sin so if you want to get away from temptation if you want to be able to endure temptation when the temptation to sin comes well the very first thing we need to do is run from idolatry make sure that we are putting God first they were not putting anything else in front of him. There, this is the reason why in the Ten Commandments, I mean, the very first commands that are given to God's people, the, the most basic commands, the very first one is have no other gods before me. very second one is don't make an idol. The idea here is that God knows that all the rest of, uh, of what he's going to talk about in any commandment flows from whether we are keeping God first in our lives. So if you are struggling with sin today, if, you're, if you find yourself constantly being beaten by temptation and, and falling to sin that you know you shouldn't be doing, well, let me just encourage you 
and say, if you just take the time to see what is it that you're really serving, what is it you're really worshiping, and if you can run to God instead of run to whatever else it is, that'll be the right step in running away from sin. So we need to run from, flee youthful passions. So we need to escape from idolatry. So that's the first thing God tells us when we're thinking about flee. So if you want something specific to run from, run from putting other things before God. Put God first in your life. I want to turn back in the New Testament for our next point here in Matthew 5. Because Jesus talks about how important it is for us to stay away from sin. How important it is for us to make sure that sin does not take over our life. Matthew 5, 29 through 30. And Jesus is going to speak here. And remember, this is during the, the uh, um, Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus is saying a whole lot of things here. But in the midst of it, in chapter 5, uh, verses 29 and 30, this is what we read. Actually, I'm going to go back to 27. I'm going to go back to 27. It says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body goes into hell. Well, Jesus is using some extreme imagery here, right? I am not telling anyone here that you should leave our service and go cut off your hand or pluck out your eye. Okay, don't take that away from this. Jesus is using an exaggeration here to make a very good point. Hyperbole is being used, and he wants to make a good point, and that is very simple. That it is better for you if you even have to cut off your own hand or pluck out your own eye as opposed to living in sin, as opposed to falling in sin. See, Jesus looks at sin as a serious thing. I'm afraid that a lot of us sometimes say, oh, you know what, I struggle with this sin, but ah, everybody struggles with it. You know, a guy may say, well, I do struggle with lust sometimes, but all guys struggle with it. It's not a big deal. I don't, whatever a girl might struggle with, a woman might struggle with, same thing. Well, all women struggle with that. Or all people always have struggled with this. So I know, it's, I know it's sin, but is it really that big of a deal? A lot of times I feel that our mentality, our attitude can be as such. I know for me it has been. It's easy to look at our own sin and think, well, it's not that big of a deal. Yet God shows us, Jesus says, this is how important it is that you should be willing to even sacrifice your own hand and your own eye in order to stay away from sin. Now, how does that apply for us? Well, when I was talking with the guys during Epic and we're talking about, you know, sexual sin, I said, well, you know what, if there is a certain thing in your life that is causing you to go to pornography or something like that, you need to get rid of it. If that's a smartphone, go to a flip phone. If that's a computer, put the computer in the living room next to your parents. Uh, if it's uh, whatever it might be, whatever the portal is, whatever the trigger is that is causing you to sin, you need to get rid of it. So really what this is talking about, and let her be here, radical amputation. We need to be willing to have radical amputation in our life. What is it in your life that is one of the main things that draws you towards a certain sin? Maybe it's TV. Maybe you find yourself getting drawn so much into the world of TV that you find yourself sinning. Maybe you need to get rid of cable, get rid of your TV. Maybe it is a a phone. Maybe it's something technology. Or maybe, here's probably even a bigger one, maybe 
it means having to cut out some people out of your life. Now, this sounds hard, right? This sounds harsh. But we know the Bible says that foolish company corrupts, right? So if you have people in your life that are dragging you down, that are bringing you into sin, I'm not saying not to love them. I'm not saying to have never speak to them again. But I am saying really think about who it is that you're spending your time with. And if it is drawing you away from Christ, then that is a relationship that you need to distance yourself from. Now, I know in some of your cases, that may be somebody really, really close to you. But you, you need to make sure that nobody or nothing is getting in the way of your relationship with God. So therefore, we may have to have radical amputation, make radical changes to our lives and say, you know what, I know this is going to make my life more harder. It's going to make it more uncomfortable. It's going to be tougher to do this, but it's worth it. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, staying away from sin, even if it means sacrificing part of your body, is worth it. So my encouragement to you and to me is that we would be willing to make whatever sacrifice it might mean. And I don't know what that means for you. I don't know what sin you struggle with on a daily basis. But if there is something that is leading you towards that place, get rid of it. Even if it means it's going to inconvenience you, even if it means it's going to take sacrifice on your part, it'll help you stay away from sin. And Jesus says that is worth it. So then letter C Not only do we need to cut everything out of our lives that is causing us to sin and run away from idolatry, but we also need to keep our distance at all times. If you want to go to Proverbs, or back in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs talks about this idea of keeping our distance from sin. And we'll take a few minutes to talk about this one because I think it's important we do understand it. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27 and 28. Proverbs 6, 27 and 28. And here's what it says. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Okay, this is kind of where the phrase, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned, comes from. The, that idea here. If you're going to walk on coals, or if you're going to hold fire into your bosom, hey, you're going to get burned. You're going to get scorched. Now, the same is true for sin. See, it's not only about running away, but it's actively keeping our distance. You know, I like, to, I like to think of it as like a snake. I hate snakes. Some of you know that. Um, I don't know if Amanda's here, but she always gives me a hard time about how much I hate snakes. She's always posting it on Facebook and scaring me half to death. I hate snakes, okay? If I were to walk out of this building tonight, and I walked, or today, and I walked out into the, into the parking lot, and there was a rattlesnake sitting there. I know there shouldn't, shouldn't be around here, but you never know. So it's sitting there. I'm not going to see that snake and say, you know what? I'm going to see how close I can get to that snake before it, and see if I can not get bit. Does that make any sense? Now, I know some of you might like to be snake handlers, and maybe you'd go right over and grab the thing. You're crazy. That's fine. But I wouldn't, okay? Um, if I see a snake, I don't even care if it's a rattlesnake. I, it, could be, it could be a snake this long. I'm running, okay? I, I'm running. I'm screaming, and I'm running, and I'm getting as far away from that snake as I possibly can. That's what I'm going to do. But see, we should view sin the same way. Because sin wants to kill us just as much as a poisonous snake would. I mean, in a spiritual sense. And yet, so many times we say, you know what, I'm going to try to get as close as I can to the sin without actually sinning. It's the age-old question, how far is too far? Well, we shouldn't ever ask that question. We should be asking, how far away can I stay? That's, that's the real question we should be asking about sin. But see, so many of us live our lives in a way where I'm going to try to do anything I can. As long as it doesn't get to sin, I'll just be very careful that I pull back at the last minute. 
is the idea. And that is not the way that God wants us to look at sin. Actually, in Romans 12.9, you can turn there if you wish, or you can just listen, but Romans 12.9 tells us this about evil things. Uh, and I think sometimes we forget this. Romans 12.9 says this, Let love be genuine. Then it says, Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Abhor evil things. Romans 12.9 Abhor simply means to strong, strongly detest, to hate, to have such a passion against that you can't stand it. That is what we're called to do. Now, here's the issue that I see. When we face temptation, a lot of times the sin that easily takes over our life, it, it, what happens is we have let it get too close to us. We haven't kept our distance. We watch a TV show that might have a few things in it that aren't quite right, we uh, listen to music that might not quite have good music, good lyrics all the way through it. We may do this or do that, but you know what? It's only a little bit of sin. It's not a big deal. Well, the problem is, is if you're saying it's, not, it's a little bit of sin, or if you're watching it or listening to it or in, and watching others engage in it and not say anything or, and, and be, be there for that, what you're doing is you are condoning sin. You are tolerating sin. See, this verse in Romans 12, 9 doesn't say... Let love be genuine. Tolerate what is evil. It says abhor what is evil. Hate what is evil. If we find ourselves being entertained by sinful things, even if we're not doing them, if we find ourselves condoning evil things, even if we're not doing them, if we find ourselves doing whatever we can to get close to a certain sin without actually committing that sin, we are setting ourselves up for defeat because we are going against what God wants us to do as it comes to sin. We need to hate sin. Tolerating evil will lead to sin. There's no question about it. And he wants us to hate sin. So do you hate sin? That's the question. That's something you'll have to consider in your life. So first, we need to run from sin. That's our first point. We need to escape from idolatry. Put God first. We need to have radical amputation. Get rid of anything that is getting in the way of our relationship with Christ. Get rid of anything or anyone that is causing us to sin. And then finally, we need to make sure that whatever we do, we are keeping our distance. They are not letting the fire of sin burn us as Proverbs talked about. If you're going to play with fire, you're going to get burned. If you're going to mess with sin and tolerate sin, you're going to fall to temptation. But if we just stop there and we just focus on the sin and we say, you know what, let's just get away from the sin, that's good, but it's not going to give us final victory over temptation because it will keep coming back and eventually we'll get tired of saying no to the sin and we'll have no hope. However... The second part here in 2 Timothy 2.22, not only does it say flee youthful passions, then it says, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Pursue is another word used towards running or following or moving, right? It's not just about sitting there. Uh, So we flee youthful lust, but then we pursue good things. And where do righteousness, faith, love, and peace ultimately come from? God himself. We can't just run from sin, but we need to run to God. So as we run from sin, then we run to God. Hebrews 12 talks about this specifically. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. And I love this verse, and it's so encouraging. Uh, And again, I look at it twice. We're going to look at it once now, and then later in the third point, we'll look at it as well. But in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, we are going to be looking at verse 2. Verse 2. And later on, we'll look at verse 1 along with it. So why don't we go ahead and read 1 and 2, but we'll focus on 2 right now. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us something very, very, very clearly. And that is this. That if we want to lay aside our, the weights that ensnare, ensnare us and the sin that clings to us, if we want to get rid of those things and run away from those things, verse 2 tells us the key. We need to look unto Jesus. See, a lot of times in temptation, we end up focusing on the sin. We look at it and we, we, we try to do everything we can to get away from the sin, and that is good. But we forget that not only do we need to focus on getting rid of the sin, but we need to focus on Jesus throughout the process. Because otherwise, it's just morality, right? It's just trying to be good for the sake of being good. But we need to look to Jesus and say, the reason that I'm defeating sin in my life is so that I can follow Jesus better, so that I can focus on him more. And so the idea here is that we need to focus on Jesus. We can't just commit to stop sinning. That's one part. But we also need to commit to follow Christ. They go hand in hand. If you don't have both together, you're going to experience failure in your Christian life as you try to overcome temptation. So we need to run to Jesus. Focus on him. Uh, letter B. Here's, uh, this is vitally important. There's two passages here uh, that we're going to look at. Uh, but over in Matthew 26, we're going to see something very, very key to our defeat or our battle against temptation. Matthew 26. And what we're going to see in Matthew chapter 26 is, some, is the most basic thing we can do when we encounter temptation. And Jesus says this right to us in, in chapter 26, verse 41. And here we read this. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And if you remember, this is when Jesus is going into the, the garden and he's praying and he's left disciples behind and they keep falling asleep. But what does Jesus say for them to do so that this temptation to fall asleep and the temptation to not pray the way they're meant to, he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. For the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We may be willing to stop a certain sin in our life. We may say to ourselves and feel that we need to stop sinning. But what does the Bible say? What does Jesus say? Well, we need to pray, pray, and pray. Pray, pray, and pray. Pray without ceasing. We need to pray when the time of temptation comes. The Lord's Prayer tells us something very similar. Pray that we will not enter temptation. God says you can't do this on your own. You cannot defeat temptation on your own. You need my strength. You need my power because your flesh is weak. So when you enter temptation, when you're struggling with a sin, you need to be praying. Praying that God will give you victory. Praying that God will help you to run. Praying that God will help you escape. Because so many of us try to fight sin on our own and we just get, we get so discouraged because we fail time and time and time again because we're trying to do it in our own strength. The time to do that is no more. We need to pray. We need to call on God and ask Him for strength. Ephesians 6.18, we don't necessarily turn there, but in Ephesians 6.18, it's right at the end of the armor of God passage and what does Paul then say after he talks about all the armor that we need to take in order to protect ourselves from sin? He says to pray. And he points out how important it is to pray in the battle. We need to pray. Uh, 
And finally, not only do we need to focus on Jesus and pray, which both, I mean, obviously these things go together, but the third thing that we need to add into this is that we need to meditate on God's word. We need to meditate on God's word. Going back to the Old Testament, I know we're turning a lot of places this morning, but in Joshua 1.9, or 1.8, Joshua 1.8, we see this idea of meditating on God's word. Joshua 1.8, and this is what we read. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you will be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. It says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that we will obey God. That's what this verse is saying. If we meditate on God's word day and night, then we will follow God better. We will be able to obey him, because if we don't know his word, how do we know to obey and that is the truth here. As we medicate, medi- medicate, wow. As we meditate, God's word is not a pill, all right? As we meditate on God's word, we will do two things. First of all, we will study it. 2 Timothy 2.15, many of you know this. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, some of your tr- translations say, do your best or be diligent. Some of them may say study. But the end part of here where it's talking about dividing the word of truth, that is where it's important. That we know God's word enough, that we study it enough so that we know how to divide it, so we know how to use it, so we know how to understand it and how we need to live by it. We need to divide God's word correctly. We need to study and do our best to do that. So we need to study God's word. So if you're not in a daily regimen of you actually going to God's word and studying it, you need to be. Because a lot of us are struggling with sin and we've forgotten to read the Bible. The very weapon we have against sin, remember once again, going back to Ephesians 6, armor of God, what does it say the sword of the Spirit is? It's the Word of God. It's our only weapon in this fight against temptation is the Word of God. And if we don't know it, then how can we use it? So we need to study God's Word. But it doesn't just stop there. And I want to turn to this passage in in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and this verse tells us that it can't just stop at studying, because we can have a whole lot of head knowledge, and that won't do any good. Psalm 119, uh, and we're going to be in verses 10 and 11. So after we study it, this is also what we need to do. And this, is what, this is what we read in Psalm 119. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have stored up your word in my heart. As the psalmist talks about this and goes back and says, I don't want to wander from your commandments, so in order not to wander, I'm going to put it in my heart. See, it's not enough just to study it, but it's also something we need to internalize. We need to internalize God's word in Psalm 119, 10 through 11. Like I said before, the, the word is our weapon against temptation, and if we don't know Jesus, his word, if we don't know God's word, if we don't know scripture, then we are going to find ourselves having trouble running to God, because God wants us to run to him as he's revealed himself in his word. So we need to study it, we need to internalize it. Internalize it, we need to memorize as part of it, okay? A lot of times this verse is used just for memorization, and it's good to memorize, but once again, if it stays up here, what does it matter? It's good to memorize so that it'll move down to our hearts, right? So that when we face temptation, we've studied God's word enough, we've internalized it in our hearts, that it will just flow from us. 
Not that we'll have to work really hard to remember chapter and verse and remember a certain verse, but the more we study, the more we internalize, the more we memorize, all of these things will come together so that when temptation comes, what will automatically flow from our lives and from our heart and from our mouth will be the word of God. And that's why it's important that we study and we internalize God's word. So we need to run from sin. We need to run to God by focusing on Jesus, praying all the time and meditating on his word. If we do those things, we can have victory over temptation. We can have those victories. But here's the one that I think almost every Christian doesn't fully understand. This last one. So a lot of people say, yeah, I understand that I need to get away from sin and run away. That makes sense. Oh, yeah, of course. I need to run to God, pray, and read my Bible. I've been told that since I was little. Okay? That's pretty easy stuff to maybe understand. But this last run... So we run from sin, run to God, but now we also run with others. We run with others. And uh, I think the theme verse for this point will be Hebrews chapter 10. And this is a common verse that many of you know. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to be in verses 23 and 24. Hebrews chapter 10, 23 and 24. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Once again, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. We need to run with others if we want to run away from sin. We cannot do this alone. And this is so contradictory to the way that, the, that especially our culture says to do things. Our culture says, you run by yourself, you do what's best for you, you work things out yourself. That's why we don't see neighbors being neighbors any longer. That's why we see people that don't uh, get involved as much in community uh, functions and organizations or churches. It's because people are learning that they want to live by themselves and be isolated as an island. Man was not created to be by himself. Man was not created to be on an island. God wants us to be living a life of community. And that is obvious from the time of creation. We see that God creates Eve for Adam, and from that says to be fruitful and multiply. The idea is to fill the earth with people, because relationships are what God has put in all of our hearts to search after. So Hebrews 10, 23, 24 says, look, we are not meant to live life alone. Meet with other Christians. If you are sitting here today, or if you find yourself in a place where you are struggling with sin, and time and time again you are falling, and you cannot seem to have victory over temptation, and yet you are trying to do it alone, and you are not coming to God's meeting place, the church, and it's not just about the building, it's being with the people of God. If you are not finding yourself finding ways to be with the people of God, or maybe you do come once in a while, maybe on a Sunday, and you say, okay, I did my duty for the week, but yet you struggle with sin throughout the rest of the week. Well, maybe what God wants you to be doing, and I would say not even maybe, this is for sure what God wants you to be doing, is to get in fellowship with other Christians. Because you will not defeat sin. You will not be able to run away and run towards God the way you can without help from others. God has given you brothers and sisters in Christ that are there to come alongside of you, that are there to help you overcome temptation. 
You see, we are called to meet with other Christians. The Bible says so. It says, don't neglect to do it. When we make choices of other things that we would rather be doing, we are neglecting God's command, and we are setting ourselves up for, fall, for failure. We really are. But see, it's not just about meeting, because a lot of us have good fellowship, and that's good, but it goes even deeper. So we need to meet with other Christians, but then we also need to, do the, to confess sin and to pray with each other. James 5.16. One book over, James 5.16. James 5.16 says this, and this is, a, this is a, a, a book written to a church. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. I could have used this verse earlier when we talked about praying, uh, and I think it's important that we pray, but the point of this verse is not just about us praying individually, what the point of this whole verse is, is that we come together to pray, and we come together to confess. So we need to confess sin and pray with one another. My question to all of us here, you may come to church, you may fellowship with believers, but has this really happened in your life? Are you transparent enough to be able to tell your brothers and sisters in Christ who aren't going to be there to judge you, are you there to tell, are you in a place where you can confess and say, I am struggling with this sin or that sin and I need your help? This is, goes against every fiber of what we want to do, right? It screams against what we want to do. It says, no, if I'm sinning and I'm struggling, I can handle it. I don't need anybody else. I can do this. And what will people think of me? But, but God says... We need to confess our sins to one another because we need to be here to help each other. Because every time you confess a sin to me, I can guarantee you I have a sin that I can confess to you and we can help each other to overcome sin. We can help each other to overcome temptation. We need to run with each other. That's how important it is. So we need to confess our sins to one another. You can call it accountability. You can call it whatever you want. But the idea here is that we are making sure that we are telling our brothers and sisters in Christ what we struggle with and asking for their help. Now, if you're on the other end of that, you need to be understanding that this is not for you to be able to take it and judge them or gossip because then you have the sin issue that has to be dealt with. This is a time for us to support one another. So I would encourage you, first of all, to be willing to be open to those people in your life that are brothers and sisters in Christ that are looking to help. And I would encourage you also if you, that you be open and ready for people to do that and you communicate to people that you are open and ready to help them at a time of need. So if... See, secrets don't help anybody. There's the saying that I like to say whenever I hear somebody whispering, secrets, secrets are no fun. Secrets are for everyone. Okay, well, secrets will destroy the body of Christ. Don't keep it to yourself. Share it with others. Share your sins. I know it's hard to do and it's something we don't want to do, but if we just live a secret, private life with our sin, it's going to eat us alive. It's going to eat us from the inside out. And also we need to pray with each other. Take opportunities when we're confessing our sin that we pray for one another. Because if sin is going to be overcome, it's going to be through the power of God. We've talked about that when we talked about prayer. But it's not enough just to be praying for myself. I do, you know, we need to pray that God will deliver us from temptation and that God will work in our lives to help us overcome sin in our life. But we need to not just focus on ourselves, we need to be praying for others as well. So pray for others and confess your sins. This is what God wants us to do. Finally, going back to the book of Hebrews. Going back to Hebrews chapter 12, same chapter we were just in, same verses we just read. But chapter 12, verse 1 starts this way. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by a so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings to us so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 12.1 here, and it goes on and tells us to look to Jesus. But 12.1 tells us this, we also need to consider those who have gone before us. That we need to follow godly examples. Chapter 11, if you don't know the context of chapter 12, it's important to kind of know and go back in chapter 11. In chapter 11 is what we call the hall of faith. Many of you know that. But the idea there is God gives us a whole list of people that followed him through faith and how they had great victory in their life because of the faith that they showed. And then in chapter 12, it goes on and says, look, with all these guys that we've just talked about, all these people we've just talked about, use them to know how you can run the race. So we need to look to those who have gone before us, those in Scripture. Uh, we can read characters and we can, instead of just reading them as stories, why don't we actually read them as real people and say, what can I learn from their life? Also, it's about our mentors. It's our elders. It's those who have gone before us in the Christian faith even here. I would encourage any younger person in our congregation, don't be afraid to look to the older people of our congregation to ha- receive wisdom, to, to receive encouragement. I would even say vice versa. I think generations really need to work together. But I think we need to look to others. We need to look to godly examples. And when we do that, when we look at our spiritual leaders, look up to our elders. You know, we've got a great group of men here. Look up to them. Look at their example. They know that when they take the role as elder that they are putting themselves under scrutiny. That's part of the whole point. So look to them and look for their example and follow that. So we need to meet with other Christians. That's vital. We need to, while we meet, we need to confess and we need to pray. And we also need to make sure that we follow those who have gone before us and look to the greats of the faith and see how they've had victory over sin so that we can maybe glean something from them. We need to run. That is the point today. We need to run from sin, we need to run to God, and we need to run with others. If we do these three things, I'm not going to guarantee that you're never going to sin again because the flesh is still strong. But what I can say is if you will do these three things, if you will run away from sin and get away from it at all costs, if you can run to God and devote your life, your prayers, your Bible study to Him, then He will help you through the temptation. And finally, if you will just rely on each other, if you will lean on one another as the body of Christ, then I believe with all my heart that you will see a lot more victory over temptation. That sin will not come in and be able to destroy you because you are running what 2 Timothy 2.22 tells us, that we're fleeing youthful passions, we're pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace, and we're doing it along with all those who call on the name from a, of God with a pure heart. We need to be doing those things, and we will see real victory happen in our lives. And it might be a small progress, but we'll see it happen. See, don't let sin win. We are destined to... We are not destined to lose to sin anymore. If you are a Christian today, what the Bible says is you are dead to sin and alive to God. It says it several different places throughout Scripture. So you don't have an excuse any longer to say, well, sin's going to win and it's just the way it is. Everybody does it. No big deal. No. God says don't sin. Flee. Don't sin, but flee. We don't need to fight it. We don't need to try to do everything in our power to get away from sin. All we're going to do is fail. We need to run to God, we need to run away from sin, and we need to run with others. And if we do those things, we can have true victory. Now before I close, I do want to just say that anybody here who does not know Jesus as their Savior, has not made the commitment to Christ to follow him with their life, you you are struggling with sin too, but 
You need to go to the very basic level of what you need to do in order to deal with your sin. Because if you have not accepted Christ, the truth of the matter is all have sinned. The Bible tells us that clearly. We've all sinned. We've all lusted. We've all lied. We've all, uh, we've all hated somebody. We've all done things that are against God's will. And if you're struggling with that and you find that and you have never accepted Christ, well, you're never going to have any victory over that sin, ever, because you are a slave to it. Unless you come to Jesus, you commit your life to him, you accept his death on the cross on your behalf, and you say, Jesus, enter my life. Jesus, I want to follow you. I believe in you, and take my life, and I commit it to you. And if you have not done that today, as we've said so many times from this pulpit, but I'll say it again, don't wait another day. You don't know what tomorrow holds. If you want sin to be out of your life and it won't, so it won't enslave you any longer, I'm not saying you're never going to struggle with sin again because you will. The whole sermon we just talked about was to Christians who are struggling with sin. But what I will say is if you come to Jesus, commit your life to him, follow him completely, and believe in everything he says he is and what he's done, then you can take that first step towards not being enslaved towards sin and then these things that we talked about. You can run from sin, run to God, run with others. Those will happen as a result of your relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you have not done that today, please, before you leave, talk to myself. Anyone that you know knows Jesus as their Savior. They would love to share with you how you can know Jesus and how you can not let sin win any longer. So please do that if that's the case. As the worship team comes up and they're going to sing our last song, I do just want to close here by saying... To all of you who are here, whether you're saved, whether you're not, whether you're struggling, whether you're not struggling, God wants us to flee. God wants us to run. Don't mess around with temptation anymore. Don't mess around with sin. It's only going to destroy you. So if you remember anything as you walk out, remember, run, Christian, run. Run from temptation. Run from sin. Run to God. Run with others. If you do these three things, God will bless you. I believe that he'll be glorified in your life as you are able to say no to sin and say no to temptation. Thanks.